Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are starting a new series in the book of Exodus. Today is all about naming your Pharaoh. Start with this question, where do you come from? Feel free to answer that however you want. Enjoy. So we are starting a series in the book of Exodus, and where we're going is really, who knows, how we kind of do series around here is we kind of get into a book or we get into an idea or we get into a concept and we just keep playing with it until we feel like we need to be done with it. So one time we got into the book of Mark and we were there for like a year and a half, so this could be fun or it could be done in three weeks. We'll find out soon enough. We're going to talk about identity today as we look at the book of Exodus, and we're going to do that by asking three questions. Because if you've been around New Abbey, it's about asking better questions, not about getting better answers. So the questions we're going to have are, where have you come from, where are you, and where are you going? And the reason I use where as like a, almost like a geographical location in your life is that when we look at the... Exodus narratives, and when we look at the Old Testament as a whole, or really even the life of Jesus, there's always this physical movement that's taking place. And the physical movement, where people are at, which town they're in, the things that they're seeing, the things that they're experiencing, are always used to tell the narrative of where the people are emotionally and spiritually and in other aspects of their life. And so we're asking these questions of where are we going Uh, Where have you come from and where are you and where are you going as we look at the book of Exodus? So let's read the passage. It goes like this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishakar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, everybody's life first. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, who did not know about Joseph, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us, Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. So, let's start at the beginning, shall we? These are the names of the sons of Israel. In the Hebrew, it's actually, and these are the names. The and is incredibly important because it's saying, oh, we're coming from another narrative. 
There's a past story that you know about if you're going to understand the book of Exodus. Exodus is the salvation story. It is the pillar. It is the pinnacle. It is when God is encountering and doing something for God's people in the Old Testament. But you need Genesis to kind of understand how we got here. Exodus is like the Lord of the Rings. It's where all the action is at, but you kind of need to know the Hobbit. And you're like, oh, this thing's even more interesting than it was before. Make sense? So in Exodus, uh, we're going to talk a lot about where we're going, but we need to understand Genesis a little bit to know where we came from. And where we came from is that God, this God of the Bible, this God encounters human beings. This God comes to where human beings are at and makes covenant with these human beings, even though humans are not good at honoring the covenant. What we don't understand in Los Angeles in 2017 is that that was revolutionary. Why? Because in the ancient world, God didn't come to you. You came to the gods. You brought sacrifices. You came to the temples. You did all kinds of things to make sure that the gods were happy with you. But in the Bible, something unique happens where this God comes out and says, no, 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 no. I'm going to come to where you are as human beings. So God encounters Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right? God encounters a person, and then God encounters a family, and then God encounters a tribe, and then we're going to get to Exodus, and now God is encountering this entire nation of people. This is why you need to understand the geography and the context and what's going on here, because this is always happening in the Bible. And this is, we meet God in a very specific place. And then if we're doing this thing well, we begin to see that the God story keeps getting bigger and wider and more expansive as we go along. So you have God meeting a particular person named Abraham, meeting a family, meeting a tribe, and then eventually the story gets bigger that God is encountering this entire nation, right? And then the story will get even bigger with Jesus. Now Jesus is saying, we're going to take this thing outside of the nation and we're going to bring it to other people. And then even Jesus says, I'm going to go away because if I stay here, everyone's going to want to come to me. So guess what? Where is this kingdom found? Where is this spirit found? It's already within you. The story gets pretty universal pretty quick, right? And that's the trajectory of where the scriptures are going. All right, how do we understand the Bible? Here's what we're going to do. In the Bible, Genesis is like the construction period. Think of it like when you're a child or you're an adolescent. What you need is a healthy narrative that brings everything together for you. All right? You need this understanding of this is where God encounters you. This is the concrete thinking of how God works. And then what happens is you kind of get through your adolescence and you get into college and you start deconstructing the things that you've constructed. That is normal and that is healthy. The challenge is that sometimes in the world of faith or sometimes in the world of the church, we don't like people deconstructing the construction that they've been given. But the whole Bible is about you deconstructing your previous realities to open up to a bigger reality of what God is doing. The reason for that is if we don't do that, then what we begin to do is say God is only here or God is only there. But where we want to go is to say God is everywhere and always. How do we know that? What did Jesus do? Jesus was constantly coming to the people, right, to with his disciples and saying, we're going to go into Samaria. We're going to go to where the Gentiles are. We're going to go hang out with the prostitute. Oh, that's not kosher. Oh, they're sinners. That's where we're going to. 
Jesus was living with his life this reality that God is everywhere and always. Anytime you want to pin God down, Jesus would say, isn't it interesting that God keeps showing up in the most God-forsaken places? So the book of Exodus is really helpful because the first part of the book of Exodus is a book of deconstruction. You have the construction of Genesis. This is how we're introduced to this creator God, right? Who makes covenant with human beings. And then we get to Exodus, which is all about, we're gonna deconstruct the narrative, right? It's gonna be the plagues. It's gonna be leaving Egypt. It's gonna be a new way of understanding how this God works. And this God meets us in our suffering. This God meets us in conflict and change. And the only certainty that any of us have in life is that there will be conflict and change. That's why Exodus starts in the midst of that conflict and change, not when things are going well for Joseph and all of his family in Egypt. The story starts when things aren't figured out, when people are being oppressed, when people are being hurt, is the really important part that Exodus is trying to get across. And then after the deconstruction takes place, the second half of Exodus, Lord knows if we'll ever get there, will be the tabernacle and the giving of the law. It's this new understanding, this reconstructing, It'll be saying, oh, we're going to pick up some of the bricks that we had back there, but we're going to build something new and bigger and more expansive. And this cycle constantly is evolving and happening forward in the scriptures. Why? Because we need to be better readers of the Bible if we're going to understand our humanity better. What's the lowest level of reading the Bible? It's taking it literally. Why is that? Because that's how a seven-year-old reads a book. A seven-year-old just reads the words that are on the pages and it's like, the cat is in the hat and the dog is blue. Great. That's not how Tolstoy or any great writer ever wrote their books. It wasn't just to take the things at the face surface value of these are just what the words mean. You gotta dig into it. Then you can get into context, into historical narrative, right? There's more layers here. Eventually you get into metaphor, into simile, right? They're just using language and words to describe something that's bigger than themselves. Isn't it interesting that Jesus always talks about the kingdom as the kingdom is like something? Why does Jesus do that? So that you don't take it literally, so that you stop saying God is here and God is there instead of God is everywhere and always. It's there in front of us all the time. And then as you have these multi-dimensional understandings of coming to the scriptures, now you can be asked, begin to ask very specific questions. Like, what does this mean to me as an individual? Because if I just read it literally, or if I just read it historically, then I guess God did some pretty important things over there, and we're just going to kind of figure that out now here in this place? And so we need these broader understandings. And then when we move from an individual standpoint and God begins to transform and move and shape us, then what happens is that we begin to see it as a larger kind of communal or sociological understanding. Like what, what's God doing in my community? What, God, what is God doing in Pasadena? What, God, what is God doing in a place like Los Angeles in 2017? And then eventually we begin to ask more universal questions. What is God doing in the complexity of planet Earth and all of the tribes of humanity and how we fit together? And how is God bringing about this narrative where God is encountering every single human being, right? Taking the places that they started from, deconstructing a broader narrative where God breaks in into our oppression, into our wounds, into our suffering, and then eventually bringing us into a broader narrative of transformation and health and allowing these things to continue to flow and move and shape one another. That's a lot to hold. But Exodus is doing that in some really profound ways. And so that's what we're going to get into a little bit today. So 
And so you look at this, and these are the names of the sons of Israel. Again, it's trying to connect us to Genesis and what happened back there. It's connecting us back to this reality that there was a covenant that God made with some people back there, and that that covenant is still going on, despite the fact that things don't look too good. Which, by the way, is a really helpful narrative for us now, right? When you come to a place in life where things don't look too good, the scriptures are trying to say, man, this is where God does God's best work. That's pretty helpful already. Then the genealogies happen, and we're all like, oh, man, genealogies, that's so important. No, this is like an ancient way of saying God very much cares about our specific narratives. It's not just about the cycles that are going on in the world, and none of us matter, and we're going to live, and we're going to die, and I guess that's all that there really is to it. There's a God saying, no, 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 I'm going to name the places you came from. I'm going to name the places that have come before you because I name and claim who you are as well, and your narrative matters to me. So you need to know that I care deeply about where you've come from so that you know that I care deeply about where you are right now, is what the book of Exodus is teaching us with some of these things. So now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. This is huge, by the way. This is saying God promised Abraham some things, and those things came true. Sometimes that requires a bigger perspective. How many of you have been in a deeply painful situation in life where everything slows down? where every minute exhaustingly feels like hours, where every day is like I've been living for years and I cannot see beyond the cloud of a knowing that is happening around me. But the biblical narrative has generations and multiple groups and different people to say that sometimes we are in those realities. Sometimes we can't see beyond our own pain and our own wounds. But thank God that we're sharing this narrative and this reality with other people as well. And that over the long arc of history, this God is moving things forward. This God is moving us towards better places, healthier, more transformative places as human beings and in culture and what we're doing. And that's a good thing. Next slide. Then a new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. So here is where the money is at. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal with them shrewdly. Then a new president came into power, and he said to the United States, look at all these Mexicans. They have become far too numerous for us. Let's build some walls. Too close to home? Thank you. Yeah. This is a common theme that happens in the world all of the time. There will always be a new king and a new pharaoh. And pharaohs, whoever they are, do one thing. They protect the narrative through fear. That's incredibly important to know. That the empires of this world are not built upon love and compassion and mercy. They are based on making people fearful so that they feel secure. So the narratives and the rhetoric that we hear politically right now in our culture are not new. These rhetorics have always been happening, right? Oh, then a new king came to power and they said, look at those Muslims. Then a new king came to power and they said, look at those Catholics. Then a new king came to power and said, man, the gays, am I right? Then a new king came to power and, no, 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 white people can only stay here. This story can go on and on. And there's a reason that the book of Exodus never names Pharaoh. 
Whenever someone gets into that, well, I think uh, Pharaoh was uh, Ramesses II, clearly in the year 1350 BCE. That's not the point of the freaking story. Great. There was a Pharaoh who built some storage places and was literally oppressing a certain people group. But the more important part of the story is there's always a new king and this Pharaoh will never be named so that you have to name the Pharaohs in your context. Because until we can name the Pharaohs and the fear that they're perpetuating, then we cannot deal with the Pharaohs in our context. And God is a God who deals with the Pharaohs. So the story is one of Pharaohs and a God. And while Pharaohs bring about death, this God brings about life. This God doesn't use fear. This God uses love. These are two very different narratives that are taking place. This God will always encounter God's people and make the story even bigger than it was before. And the Pharaohs will always try to restrict the people because Pharaohs are scared of change and love to see homogenous environments. That's a socio-political understanding of the Pharaohs. Let's get a little bit closer to home. Pharaohs can be the family that you came from. Pharaohs can be your addiction. Pharaohs can be your depression. Pharaohs can be your unique wounds. Pharaohs can be your little secrets that nobody else knows about. And the Pharaohs internally, just like the Pharaohs externally, will prey on you in your fear. Like addiction. Your Pharaoh doesn't know you. Your Pharaoh knows the false self of you. Your Pharaoh is constantly telling you lies to cope with the reality that you live in, right? Life can be hard, and sometimes we want to cope, and we become slaves to all kinds of things. And Pharaoh is not here to bring you life. This Pharaoh is here to bleed every last ounce of energy out of you. And we have to name those Pharaohs if we want to experience more transformation. We start with the truth that God encounters us first. That's why this really important word is here, that a new king came who did not know about Joseph. The Hebrew here word for know is an incredibly intimate word. It's a word that you, you've seen somebody, you've experienced their face, you've heard their narrative, you've embraced them. Let's go socio-political again. It's really hard to be racist it's really hard to demoralize or degrade or objectify another human being when you've had a meal across the table from them, when you've walked their children to the park, when they've cried in front of you. It's hard to have people drink from different water fountains. It becomes harder and harder to believe that the external walls we create will do any good for the universe. And we need to know that. Because this God does know us, is what the story is all about. This God does intimately care about who we are, has heard who we are, has embraced us, has felt us, has cared about us. And this God wants to bring us life. And so the book of Exodus is constantly, in, the, in these first few chapters, trying to set this very big theatrical stage that there will always be a Pharaoh in life, whether that Pharaoh be inside of you or externally shaping geopolitics. There are pharaohs who are creating more fear, and this pharaoh will never know you, and this pharaoh does not care about knowing you, but there is a God who does, and this God wants to encounter you and hear you and be with you. And so some of us in this room simply need to hear this. We, some of us believe that God will or has encountered us. 
We have those narratives. Maybe we're currently experiencing that, or we've experienced that in some profound or real way in the past. Some of you are like, I don't know if I have that. And maybe the book of Exodus will simply be a journey of transformation for you where God is saying, I want to encounter you. I know you're not there yet. I know you don't see this. I know maybe the perspective of your life isn't showing you this, but I want to encounter you and where you are. And if you get anything out of all of the book of Exodus, that will be a triumphal win for your life to know that you are not alone, that there is a God out there who has been dealing with Pharaoh since the beginning of time. And this God is not scared of dealing with Pharaohs anymore and wants to deal with the Pharaohs that are happening in here and the Pharaohs that are happening out there. And this God will always first encounter us, but then this God will ask us to come along into the journey. After this God has deconstructed and taken away some of the power of Pharaoh, this God will say, now let's pick up some pieces together. Will you join me? Will you go find out these unforced rhythms of grace? Will you come along the road with me and let's make a new life together, not only for yourself, but for the entire world? My sister died nine years ago because she was a cocaine addict. She had pharaohs, lots of pharaohs. And as I thought about the story this morning, I wanted to make the story all about my sister and her pharaohs and the cocaine and the alcohol. And since as a young child, as young as I can remember, she didn't know who she was. She didn't feel like she was loved. She had kids and she put her kids through her cocaine addiction. And when I was an adolescent and I saw her doing this and when she died, I was incredibly mad at her. And she was a pharaoh to me in lots of ways. And I remember sitting on her deathbed with oxygen tubes going into her tummy and being all taped up and being sedated and in a coma just a few hours before she died. And I remember weeping by her bedside, just saying, man, I wish I had learned to love you because I hated you. And I hated the pharaoh that you were to me and our entire family. But as time has gone on, God has done something profound for me. I stopped talking about my sister as if something happened back there. I stopped talking about the Bible as if something happened back there. And I started to realize this is not about past events. This is about my narrative and what's happening now. And over the last few years, some profound things have happened because of that, as I've named the pharaohs within me. It's not just my sister who's an addict. It's interesting that all of my cousins have addictions, drugs, alcohol, sexual addictions, that there's some type of trauma that happened in my family and we can go somehow and look back and look at our genealogy and go through some of these questions and wonder how did we get here. And I can constantly look at all of them and pay the $10,000 in therapy bills, which I have, to answer some of those questions, but eventually I have to come to the reality of who I am and where I am now. And where I've had to come to in the last three years, four years, is, oh, I'm an addict. I had to learn the painful way nine years ago when I cheated on my wife that I'm an addict, that I've always coped in my life, I've always avoided pain by running to the next thing because I'm scared of dealing with the real pain that's going on inside of me. And then I got a job at a church and I became a pastor and I outran that pain for five years. And then we started New Abbey and we went from a place where there was thousands of people to 10 people sitting in my living room and I was insecure. And my ego came out and my pride came out. And those are the moments when God began to show that there's new pharaohs that are inside of me and old pharaohs that had been there the entire time. And for me, it was a time where I had to start doing hard work. I needed mentors, I needed therapists, I needed spiritual directors, I needed a community. I needed a 12-step group. 
where I could go to and say, I'm just as much of an addict as any of them. And I can make this story about them and something that happened over there, or I can realize that these are the real things that are happening inside of me. And if I don't deal with my addiction and my hurt and my pain, then I'm liable to bring about more hurt and more pain and more wounding to the world. Exodus is not about the past and what God did back there. Exodus is an invitation to what God is doing right here. It's an invitation that God will work. It's an invitation that maybe you just want God to work. And this God is saying, give me a chance and maybe I will. And the story of Jesus is that narrative. It's the story of God coming to earth. It's the story of the incarnate one who shows us fully who God is and fully what it means to be human. It's a story where God shows us all of these things, right, by constantly taking us into painful places. Isn't that fascinating where he always took his disciples, right? To other hurting people, why? Because when you can begin to deal with other hurting people, what do you begin to see about yourself? I'm hurting. I've been hurting this whole time. And when you begin to deal with your own hurt, what do you begin to do with other people? Oh, you've been hurting. You've been hurting this whole time? Ah, then we participate in the tikkun olam of the world, which is a Hebrew saying, the repair of the world. That we're all participating in that repair. But the only way we do that is if we first name our pharaohs and the name that there is another God who knows us and loves us more than those realities. But there is a God, there is a story, there is this life through Jesus that, we, that expands beyond the book of Exodus that God first invites us into crucifixion that Jesus doesn't go to the cross so that Jesus somehow deals with all of the wounds and the hurt of the world and we sprinkle pixie dust over it and people can just pray some things away and fall on the floor and tomorrow you're a different person. I'm sorry, I've never seen it work that way. But it is an invitation to name some things and then now to begin the hard journey forward through the cross, through those wounds, through that pain, name some pharaohs, and then then and only then, my friends, do we experience a little promised land, a little resurrection, a little hope, a little new life, and that's the good stuff. So, let's have some questions together. Can you name one pharaoh in your life? And what's one step you can take to begin to address this pharaoh? And let me make you an offer about that last question. I'm not interested in playing church, and I hope you are not either. As you name that pharaoh in your life, if you need a therapist, if you need that spiritual director, if you need um, a 12-step group, if you need some parents who can love you in a different way, if you need some community, come and talk to me or email info at newabbey.org and we're gonna help you with that. Because one of the things that we do with our budget and the only thing that we're willing to go bankrupt for, and I literally mean bankrupt, I would close this thing down if we spent all of our money for it, is for your healing and transformation. And so if you're like, I need a therapist, but I don't have that thousand dollars, guess what? We do. And your life and your narrative is incredibly important. So let's change that thing. Find the same people you were talking with before. Enjoy.
Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.